0: Oh. Find yourself at home here. Uh, Last week we kicked off groups. That was fun, a little popsicle party. So if you're not connected in a group yet, we just launched them this week, so you've still got plenty of time. Jump on in. Those will go all the way up until the first week of August, so make sure you connect in that. We also started a brand new series called Breath of Life, and we were really looking at all the scriptures. They have so much power to speak about worship, and uh, I I told everybody last week that I can't believe as a guy who's a former worship pastor and been a worship leader for um, well, over a, a decade that I've, I haven't done a, a solo, like, uh, focused series on worship since we started. So I'm like, that's a problem. So we kicked it off last week, and uh, just such a good day. Just been hearing, hearing great testimonies of what God was starting in your work and in, uh, in your heart. Um, and so I'm just excited uh, to continue it today. One thing I love about our church is uh, what diverse backgrounds we all come from. We all come from different walks of life and stages of life. You know, uh, some of you, like, this is your first church experience, and like this is your first church home. Some of you have come from Catholic backgrounds, some of you from Methodist backgrounds, some of you from Baptist backgrounds, holiness, charismatic backgrounds, non-denominational. We've come from all these different walks and stages when it comes to uh, our faith. Some of you have have come out of being an atheist or agnostic, and God's just been teaching you his love and kindness and growing in a relationship with him. But that kind of makes for an interesting blend when we've kind of come from all these diverse places. It makes for an interesting dynamic within our groups, within our worship. And I think sometimes we can be threatened by that. Um, but what, I think what we fail to do sometimes is really look at the scriptures on what the scriptures actually teach that worship is and praise is. And we've all got different styles, like the, the, the uh, background you came out of, whether that's no church background or some kind, there's some kind of style of worship um, in, in that you're used to, and um, uh, I remember going into this one church when I was a, a worship leader, and It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I just like whoa, and then uh, you, I've another one that was completely the opposite direction. That it wasn't just like, like uh, just crazy seeming like chaos, but I went into another environment that it was just so different. Um, and, And so we've all come from these different places. And even coming here, you're like, this is so different because it's it's unique to who God's created us to be, uh, there's this comedian named Tim Hawkins, and he kind of wrapped up these different backgrounds and, and really just split the types of churches that uh, we're used to uh, into two categories. He calls them hand-raising churches and non-hand-raising churches. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Well, I'll, I'll just let him explain it for a, a second. It's pretty funny. <laughs> touchdown! Everybody give me a touchdown! There we go. There we go. Yeah, see, some of y'all didn't come from hand-raising churches. There you go. <laughs> So uh, no, it's uh, it's just funny, just the different dynamics, and we adjust to uh, new dynamics and new styles of worship. But hey, I want to take uh, just a minute, and, and as you exit today, I'll have the ushers hand out. Um, some of these, these papers that I'm, I'm about to do kind of a, a really, really big teaching kind of overview on the what uh, worship is and what praise is and why and where and how we are to worship, what the scripture teaches. So I'm going to do about two pages worth in about five minutes. So buckle up, it'll all be on the screen and you'll get it as you leave because it'll be a helpful resource to really study and understand for yourself, regardless of where you've come from, um, that that we would all understand what the Bible teaches worship is, what the Bible teaches praise is. As we, we study God's word, we see that there's all these different uh, actions, but there's also the, in these postures that go along with it. And there's, there is a difference because we, we lump in worship and praise. Praise and worship is just like the same thing. We just kind of lump it in, but they're different. They're, they're very different. And they contrast um, quite starkly. Uh, praise can be seen as, as an exuberant expression towards God. Like it, it's bringing exuberance and excitement to celebrate. It, it's like a celebration. And the thing is, is we know how to celebrate outside of church. Like we know how to celebrate at the football game or when our team scores a touchdown. But sometimes in church, we don't know how to celebrate. And the the scriptures teach us that we've got to be able to applaud and to celebrate God's goodness. They all demand all these Hebrew words, and there's seven Hebrew words uh, for praise in the Old Testament. So look at these real quick the first one is halal it means to praise the lord by celebrating by dancing and shining forth by acting by acting almost foolishly clamorously foolish uh, to uh, yada is and actually halal is in the scriptures 99 times to dance and act foolishly before the lord 99 times when's the last time you danced foolishly before the lord 90 more than any of the other versions is that one yada to praise the lord with an extended hand to throw out the hand we're not just kind of doing some cultish thing it's a command of the scriptures to praise god it's an there's an actual so when you read praise anywhere through the bible or particularly in the old testament these are all hebrew words so old testament they're, they're saying one of these types of praise. So there's a study for you. Figure out what type of praise it's actually speaking through that scripture. Shabbat, to praise the Lord with a shout and a loud voice. When someone shouts, it's a, it's a response to the Lord and his greatness and goodness as a celebration. Tawdah, to thank God for things at hand as well as things not yet received. Whosoever um, uh, offereth Tawdah glorifies me. So when we thank God for things not yet, not yet received, he receives glory out of that. Not just after the fact, not just after we get the job, not just after we get the financial miracle, but before it, he receives glory out of that. Tehillia, in Hebrew, the, psal- the Psalms are actually called Tehillah, this word. That's what they're actually named. A praise. From your spirit, Uh, the residual new song of the Lord from the heart of believer. You hear this a lot of time with our uh, worship leaders up here. They're just singing their own song to the Lord. It's just a residual of what God's doing. They're just singing their own new song. So some of you think that's strange. Nah, it's biblical and it's real and it's genuine from the heart. It's not for show. So we tell them, don't put it in a microphone because it's not all about show, right? It's just to the Lord. It's a residual song. Um, zamar, to praise the Lord with the playing of an instrument, and Gil to circle and joy, to dance in circles and rejoice. So you get the idea with praise. Everything is about this excitement, like dancing and shouting and just lifting up, clapping our hands. It's about lifting up praise to the Lord, an upward explosion of energetic expression. There's some alliteration for you. Worship on that. You love alliteration. I love somebody who loves alliteration. You, you, you probably weren't aiming that. Um, <laughs> worship is so different. It couldn't be more different. The words for worship actually take the opposite direction. Worship involves a downward, reverent submission. It, it's not an energetic, it, it's, it's reverent Submission. There, there's only two words that, that show up in in the Hebrew text for for worship. Barak, not Obama, but just Barak. It's a Hebrew word. Um, uh, to worship the Lord by kneeling or bowing, to humbly recognize God uh, as the origin of power. We saw some people just throughout the room, even on stage, just bowing before the group, worshiping, just to bow. It, it, it's it's not. If, so if, the, if you don't come from a hand raising church or, or, or a bowing church, it's it's biblical worship. Psalm 95, 6 says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us deeply, let us barak before the Lord, our maker. Let us bow down before him. Shakah, uh, to worship by falling down, by bowing or prostrate. You'll even see at some point people will just lay down and you're like, what did that person die doing to call a doctor? What just happened? They're laying down before the Lord as just an ultimate sign of lowering their stuff. There's no further place I could go to face down before the Lord in just reverent submission and honor before God. You see how vast these two are, how vastly different they are, praise and worship, and we lump them in. And so, they couldn't be more different. So look at, look at how different they are. One is dancing, and the other is bowing. One's shouting, the other kneeling. One can be raucous, the other completely silent. And, and even like within our kind of a set of, of music there, you see praise, you see worship, you see all this expression before the Lord. One's leaping, the other prostration; one exalting, the other lowering, one is rejoicing, the other is trembling before the God. And, and as Tim said, it's, it's all good and it's all God, but, it, but there's a place for all of it. And, and most of the time we just lean to where our personality leans. Um, but I am... I feel like many times like when I move outside of my personality I feel like God's most honored and glorified because it's no longer about me. It's about him and and he leads me to do the bible's so full of teaching. We we don't have to just go off of kind of historical church like what have I grown up in what, is this, what do the scriptures teach and here's what the scriptures teach where are we to oh wait here here we go yeah we see worship with the lips speaking singing shouting we see worship with the hands clapping raising playing music and blessing others we see worship with the entire being standing dancing kneeling and lying face down um, what does the scriptures teach us on where we are to worship everywhere Psalm 113 praise the lord praise the lord you whose servants, praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Everywhere, across the entire earth, let the name of the Lord be praised. Who, everyone, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When are we to worship? Uh, Psalm 34, one says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Uh, my, his praise will always be on my lips. Always. So where are we to worship? Who is to worship? When are we to worship? All the time, everyone and everywhere. So why? We actually spent a lot of times talking about the heart of worship last week. So I'd love for you to dig back into that sermon if you missed it. Uh, but here's just a rundown of a bunch of reasons why. One, he commands it. Uh, second, he's present and enthroned in it, which means he inhabits the praises of his people, that God comes and makes himself known. So if you've ever entered into... Um, maybe in a worship service like ours, maybe this is a new environment, and you begin to f- feel God. Our, our son, Camden, who's our middle child, he, he's, he has such a beautiful spirit. Like he, God just has his hand on his life. It's just incredible, because he's just a nut and a wild child, but God, God's hand is so rich on his life. The things he speaks are so profound and genuine. He's not making it up. He's not repeating things, because I don't even say these things. But he'll just drive down the road and say, you know, I can't see God, but I can feel him. You know, he'll just say things like that all the time. And, and, uh, and, and this is, is true that if you come into this place and you begin to feel God, it's because people are lifting him up. And maybe you're lifting him up. And God is inhabiting the praises of his people. There's so much power in our worship. It, there, it, it's a weapon of spiritual warfare. Uh, there, there's, there's power in it for protection from sin and for sorrow. If you're beginning to move into a depressive, sorrowful place, begin to worship. If you're battling sin and addiction, begin to worship as a, a weapon to, to fight that all. more uh, for becoming more like Jesus, for releasing the full work of God You're going to get all these notes so you can go back and have a devotion after 40 days of prayer. Um, Psalm 92 says it's a good thing. It's pleasant and it's fitting. He's worthy of it. He deserves it. Let's keep going. Uh, It's partly why we were saved in the first place, to worship him. It's a huge part of it. Worship gets my mind off. Everybody just say that with me. Myself. Worship gets my mind off myself. Worship cultivates unity. Worship produces a spirit of gratitude within me and worship is why I exist. The very best reason to worship God is because he delights in it. We see God responding. We see the emotions of God. We see it revealed in Jesus, but we see God's character and that he feels and he delights in our praise. It's not, I'm not worshiping to a wall. The person of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus Christ, a person of God the Father, and though I can't see him, he's just as as real, more real than anything I, I actually see now. And so God wants to do something in our lives, and I just wanted to run through that as just like a quick kind of catch everybody up, and let's have a biblical base for what worship is and when we're to worship everywhere, um, when and where and, and why we worship. And I want to turn to Acts chapter 16. And preach from there today after we got you warmed up with a laughter and some deep teaching for about five minutes. That was pretty quick. Um, I want to dive into the text here in Acts chapter 16. If you were with us last week, we actually looked at the, the next chapter. We looked at Acts chapter 17. Do you guys remember that last week? And we were, Paul was teaching and pouring into these two groups of philosophers. Do you guys remember this? So this philosophical meeting. They're at this large rock. And, and so let's do a little flashback. Um, when I watch um, TV shows or movies with my kids, they get confused by flashbacks, but I think as adults, we can look at it and we find it really profound where things lie. So let's flashback from Acts chapter 17 to Acts 16 today. Let me get you some context and we'll dive into the text. So Paul is now in Europe. He's in Greece, first kind of ministry that's happening in, in Europe. It's a big Deal. So he goes to a town called Philippi, which really there's um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, racial conflict, and um, there's a lot of bias towards Jews in Philippi in this Greek town. And so he goes and he meets this woman. He, he lo- he's looking for a synagogue and there's not enough Jewish people there to have a synagogue. So they have a little place out by the river in which they go to pray. So Paul goes and meets this woman named Lydia and she's converted. She's a, a Jewish God-fearing woman. She's a businesswoman. She's uh, converted and begins to, she gets baptized. Her whole family gets baptized. Paul moves on from that. She's the first convert in the continent of Europe that we have recorded in the scriptures. And uh, Paul goes on, and there's a, a young girl who the scriptures say she's possessed by some kind of spirit that allows her to be able to tell the future. Um, weird science right there. So anyway, she, he, he knows this, but this girl is actually a slave. She's a slave to these two guys in town who are using her just to make money off of her. So, but Paul is, is, is not okay with uh, the possession that she's got in, in her life and the bondage and slavery that she's in, and so he goes and he prays for her and uh, to be set free of this spiritual oppression and this physical oppression. Well, that obviously upset these guys, and so they go and they report to these officials uh, that hey, he's going out and he's pushing all this Jewish you know, doctrine and culture stuff. And because there's all this racial bias towards Jews, they don't give him a speedy trial. They don't give him an opportunity to offer a defense. They don't even investigate what actually happened because he's not pushing Jewish stuff. He's a believer in Jesus and he's actually converting people from Judaism or for wherever they're at. But they're they're mad about what's happened and they've lost their, their, their cash cow, so to speak, in this slave girl. And uh, so that's where we find ourselves, Paul and uh, his compadre Silas are thrown into jail. And we're going to pick up at verse 25 when Paul and Silas begin to pray, begin to worship in the middle of a deep, dark, ugly prison, they begin to worship. Uh, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he Brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Pretty incredible little text there. Uh, have anybody ever experienced an earthquake? Yeah? Um, actually, where the um, the volcanoes erupted, that was the first earthquake I ever experienced a couple years ago when we were in Guatemala. It really just just miles from where that earthquake, right? It's, I mean, it's literally in the same city. Uh, we, were, we were you know, sleeping at the foothills there, um, not too far from it, and we felt our first earthquake. But this earthquake was so violent, it swung the, um, the, the doors open, and, and they were freed. And so I want to talk about this text, and it's pretty incredible what takes place here. But I want to talk about what changes when we begin to worship, the power of our worship. What changes... When we worship, because we see a lot that changes here. And I think it's something we're all gonna be able to benefit. One of those reasons of why we worship, we said it gets our eyes off of ourselves, right? I had to say it out loud: worship gets my eyes off of myself. That's the first thing that changes. Is I'm no longer focusing on me, but now I'm focusing on God. When we genuinely worship, and many times we've got to be careful. We've got to constantly guard our heart, let God search our heart, and make sure that we're really worshiping for his sake, not for our kind of feeling emotional sake, but God, no, I'm worshiping to give you glory. I'm honoring you. I mean, think about Paul and the circumstance he's in deep in the recesses of this dark dungeon of a prison. I'm sure he was kind of circling things back, or at least he could have been like, man, I wish I would have never even gotten near that woman. (laughs) You know, and I wish if I wouldn't have done that. If I wouldn't have gone to the city. I mean, you ever do that? Like something happens and it's out of your control, and like then you start retracing. If I wouldn't have done that, and I wouldn't have done that, and you second guess everything. And and Paul could be doing that right here, but that's not what he he chose to do. Paul and Silas were worshiping. They were praying. They were they were their eyes were focused on the Lord. And this is so profound. Like in a week that's been really heavy. And a lot of attention has been drawn to our mental health. And with suicide, here this jailer is about to commit suicide right in front of them, which for that culture was honorable. Um, it's taken the, just kind of taking the, the right way out or the easy way out, however you want to look at that. Um, uh, but there's so much I want to speak more about about this mental health thing. It breaks my heart every time I hear it. Just two people in the top of their field this week, and they weren't the only ones um, that 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 um, that gave up the fight and, and quit this this week, and um, it, it saddens my heart very very deeply. But uh, I've done research on this, and what's incredible—I don't know if you know the statistics about how depression has increased. I mean, you can probably sense it even in your lifetime or your adult life. You've noticed like uh, it's not just awareness about it; it's increased. Um, depression is uh, 10 times more prevalent today than it was a lifetime ago. A thousand percent more than what it was at World War II it is today. And so obviously psychologists have studied this. Why is depression so much more prevalent in our time? Is it because of our smartphones? What's got us here? And one of the leading psychologists in all the world, uh, it's been just the focus since World War II. It's been the focus of his professional career is to get into um, bringing people to uh, emotional health. His name is Martin Seligman. You've probably heard of him. The whole theory, like with the dog, um, not Pavlog, but this is another um, uh, theory. And here's what his primary theory is. As a society, we've lost a sense of connection to something that's greater than ourselves, something transcendent and good, something that can command our devotion and allegiance. In, in other words, um, we've reduced all of life down to the lowest single common denominator, and it's the self. And, and the self is like a small box that we try to stand on, and, and it's not built to handle the pressure of our longings and desire for meaning and purpose and connection with our creator, and so that box smashes. And that's what's happening to our, our emotional world. And so I, I'm not, I don't want to reduce the complexity of mental health all down to the simple things, but I think there's something deep that God wants to speak into. some people in this room that maybe find themselves battling depression day after day, day after day, and, and I just want you to know like part of that journey, and there's a lot to it, part of that journey is getting our eyes off of ourselves. Paul could very much have just been running through, but no, he, fo- he chose to pray and to focus on the Lord, and that is where his chains came loose, when that earthquake happened, and he found deep freedom. You see, when, so how do we do that, Pastor? Like, how, how do I just, just get my attention? And, and I think, um, like, stop, like we hear the phrase, stop and smell the roses a lot, right? W- with the roses, you have to get close, like if I'm here to there, I'm, if it's a whole bush of roses, maybe I can smell. But if I got to get close to it and really stop and slow down in my life to really notice the roses, to notice and smell those roses, I don't have a great sense of smell. Um, and actually, Marley, um, our, our friend, is in town in, uh, last night. Uh, Taryn's all about her oils, and so she was making fun of me pretty hardcore. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. She's making fun of her pastor. Um <laughs> And so she, uh, Taryn has these oils, and I was sniffing them, and I don't know if there's a right wrong, or wrong way, but apparently what I do is wrong, because I was sniffing with both nostrils, just to confirm what I smelled in the first nostril and the second. She's like, who smells like that? You just sniff in the middle in any way. Um, but we got to stop and, and smell the roses. You, you can't smell from far away, so you got to get close. Scripture said, draw close to me, and, and I'll draw close to you, draw Near. You see, when I'm enthralled by the glory and the beauty and the goodness of God, I, I, I can't stay in this place of self-loathing any longer because I realize I've been made in his image. I can't continue self-loathing about me because when I get a glimpse of him, I realize that the glory of him is shining back on me. And I find how unworthy I am as we looked at last week. His worth and his mercy has been passed over to us. And we receive that. And we are set free by getting our eyes off of ourself. And a lot of times we move it to different things. We, we'll move it from ourselves, and then we begin to think about other people, right? That's the second part of this. We really begin to worship. The power of our worship is when we, we get our eyes off of other people, and start focusing on God, right? I think after we, okay, I'm not going to focus on myself, but then I'm kind of caught up with what everybody else is thinking. I'm kind of caught up with what everybody else is uh, looking at or saying about me. And think about Paul and his situation. Think about his situation. He had people to be mad at, he had offenders who had wrongfully accused him, wrongfully had him arrested. And he had a ton of people that he could just get in there and be mad at and just be looking for vengeance on, be plotting, hey, here's what I'm going to do when I get out. I'm going to punch somebody in the face. I mean, he, and, and we find ourselves in the same place as opposed to God being our focus, everybody at what everybody else said, what everybody else did, what everybody else thinks becomes our focus. The, and, and those offenders, those people who have to, they're getting more worship than God's getting. Are, are they the focus of our attention? Are they who we're living our life to please? And the sad truth is that many times we are, we're just out to please people and we're not truly living our life to please God. And so just going back to the first point, I mean, Hebrews 12 says we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter. He's the pioneer and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he must be our focus. I've got to stop focusing on what everybody else, because it'll drive you crazy, won't it? Staying up all night thinking about what they're going to think about us. Staying up all night thinking about what they they said and what they meant by that. Come on. Don't act like I'm the only one. because you have. I guarantee you somebody in this room, probably all of us have lost sleep in the past month about something that took place and we were worried about how other people would perceive it, what they thought about us. And it beats us up. And I, I I love the passage in Exodus chapter 14 where the people of Israel are now free. They have left slavery and bondage in Egypt. They've been set free miraculously by God. And then they get out there and there's freedom, but it's hard. It's much harder than what they realized. And now they're like not happy with waiting on God for manna and for quail from heaven. And so now they're complaining and they're like, why would you bring us out to this desert? We just want to go back to slavery. And sometimes that's what it feels like. It was just easier when I was all focused on myself. It was just easier when I was back in that bondage. Now it's, it's hard now it's hard. And here's what Moses speaks to the people of Israel. He says, The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. The, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And this is where it begins again to get into our trust. Do I trust God to fight for me? Do I need to be my defender or is He my defender? Is He my shield? Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, is what the psalmist said. You're the glory and the the lifter of my head. God, you're the one that gets my attention off of myself. You're a shield for me, and and you just lovingly lift my chin. It's a very intimate phrase we find there, and I think it's Psalm chapter 3. The glory and the lifter of my head. You just get my attention off myself and just remind me. That you're gonna fight for me, that you're gonna protect me, that I just need to be still. And so, as much as I need to stop and smell the roses, in that I just need to be still. And when there's a lot I could do, and I feel like I've got to kind of repair things and push, like just let God just be still. Let Him be your defender. Um. And, and we all care a lot about what people think about us, and that's not going to go away. And it shouldn't be completely go away. In fact, there's a lot of things the Scripture teaches on to be mindful of how it makes other people feel, and that so we don't go into this just kind of bull in a china shop and just, everybody else can just get over it type of thing. Um, but it, does, it refines us and purifies us where our focus is not on them. And for Paul, it could have driven him crazy in there to the fact where he's not praying, He's not singing hymns, he's just complaining. He's just mourning of what could have been if he wouldn't have done that. And it's just this whole cycle about self and other people, and God's not receiving any glory and worship from it. And and I think some of you are probably going through this in in your marriages or in your relationship, and and there's this what Dr. Emerson Egricks calls the crazy cycle. And it's where um, maybe she's not showing any respect to you, therefore you're not being any... Uh, you're not being loving, and so and, and you're not receiving love, and so you're not showing respect, and there's this crazy cycle in which we're going back and forth and getting finges back and forth, and we're taking, 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 because our eyes are on ourself, and the first person that gets their eyes on God will have an opportunity to have the grace for that relationship, Somebody has got to have it to break that crazy. Somebody's got to be the first one that says, you know what? God's been gracious to me and I can offer that to you today. You know, God's been merciful to me. So over and over again, you know, 70 times seven, I'm going to forgive. 70 times, over and over. I'll just do it. I'll forgive. Um, But we don't have that in ourselves. It's when we get our eyes on the Lord that that cycle can break in our relationships. Or else we're just constantly focused on them and they're getting all the worship. And it wasn't just... What's amazing about this, it wasn't just Paul and Silas that got free. Everybody got free. They were, they were listening. They were listening to what the, they were watching. I, eyes were on the situation, and, and sometimes we feel like we're, it's, it's, it's all us. But what's amazing is when we get our eyes on God, it begins to impact other people. Like I'll just say in this room, like when we come together and, and worship and music and singing for those that come into the room and like they've got no background with this stuff and maybe kind of in the very beginning stages of a walk with the Lord, your worship impacts them because he inhabits the praises of his people and you can't not feel and express and encounter God in, when his glory is poured out. Not only do I stop focusing on myself, I stop focusing on other people. I stop focusing on my circumstance. I just... Uh, you know, this is not like a 21st century prison with cable TV, right? With with sermons, you know, shooting into the prisons like in a lot of prisons these days. It's not that, where a library, hit the workout. No, no, this was like first century, you know, Greek prison back in a hole, like the dungeon of the hole. It was it was rough. And he's been, he's been beaten, he's been, um, you know, probably spit on, just mocked uh, because of what's going on here. And he's thinking about how terrible his situation is, right? And that all starts with us focusing on ourselves, doesn't it? It all starts there. Like, it's oh, so situation, if I shouldn't have done this. And it's just this constant self-loathing. And fo- now it's a focus on our, on our circumstance. And here, here's the hard truth, is that that when we begin to worship, our circumstance can change. When we stop focusing on ourselves and focus on God, we will change. We will change. But our circumstance can change. It's not always going to change. That's the hard truth. And that's where our worship is tested. Like you, you would get a lot more excited and say, your circumstance is going to change. You know? You'd get really excited about that. But the hard reality of life and what the scriptures teach us is that sometimes it doesn't. He'll go back to prison again later. Ask Job. Job one twenty one says something very profound to us today. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll depart. Job's lost everything. And he says this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the Lord, name of the Lord, be praised. This is when our worship really is tested Am I worshiping because of the comfort of my circumstance or am I worshiping regardless of my circumstance? Am I I praising because I have or will I praise when I don't have? Because that's not why I was worshiping in the first place. That's not why I was singing in the first place is because I was perfect. I wasn't singing in the first place because my finances were all like amazing, and it was overflowing. I wasn't worshiping in the first place because everybody likes me. I worship in the first place because He loves me and chose me and has called me and has set me forward in, in a calling that is far bigger than me and and requires of me to cling to Him and to be found in Him on a daily basis. I, I love this whole, this whole scene because... When we get our eyes off of ourself and onto the Lord, it changes us. And, and, when, and when I get my eyes on the Lord and, and not on them, what's amazing about it is I'm transformed and therefore it has a, a, a residual effect, impact on the people around me. And they're transformed through it. Like think about how this jailer, like Paul was not viewing him like everybody else was viewing him as his offender. He didn't see it with temporary eyes. He saw it with eternal eyes. Because he came out of prayer and worship and he was able to look at this jailer and says, the same breath that God put inside of me, he put inside of him. We're not going anywhere, guys. There were so many guys. They could have overthrown this jailer like that. And he stayed. His eyes were on the Lord and not on his circumstance. And look how, look at how deep this maturity is. Don't miss this. Look how deep it is. I, Paul said, I will stay in this prison so that you may have life. What a Christ-like example. I I will stay suffering in this prison if you'll put your sword away. I'll stay here in my circumstance so someone else might receive hope in life. And I think across this room, we're like, that's pretty amazing maturity. Because that's what Christ did. He didn't try to offer a defense for himself. He let the Lord fight for him. It was hard to... But I, I love how the Hebrew author puts it the, the author of Hebrews puts it for the joy set before them before him he endured the cross he he didn't see you as a burden to stay. he saw you as a joy to stay and i I just want you to note this morning that um, what Christ did on the cross made a way for you and for me to be able to approach God and to worship him from right from where we're at, from our heart. You can go through the motions of all those Hebrew words and what praise and what we you can go through all the motions, but it's not pleasing God unless it's coming from your heart. And so I want you to stand with me this morning and we're going to worship and we're going to sing and we're going to come to the table Uh, But I want to ask you this morning to just begin to reflect on maybe where your eyes have been. You're not in jail this morning, thank God. You're here. I'll come bail you out. Um, But we're here, and some of us are in emotional prisons right now. Um, Some of us are, are just fighting some real battles Maybe you've been accused and, and, you know, there's unforgiveness there. Maybe there's resentment towards certain individuals. And that's your prison, is the fact that you can't sleep at night. And there's probably people in prison who are sleeping better than you are. Come on. It's the truth. Uh, and, God, and God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free of it. Um, I'm, I'm not your solution. God um, God is. And, and I just want to challenge you, if you're focused on how terrible your situation, how difficult, focus on Him. If you're focused on other people, focus on Him. If you're focused on yourself, focus on Him. And God's going to set some people free today. But, but you've got to get your focus on Him, not anybody else, not your situation, not thinking through all the details, just worshiping Him.